Hey everyone, quick PSA before we start the episode. We did run into a few tech problems with the audio for one of our guests. We fixed as much as we could in editing, but there are still some moments where the audio is not quite up to our normal standards. But the conversation is still good, the guests were great, so I hope you enjoy this episode about orcs in the rings of power. Yet this is held true by the wise, that all those of the Quendi who came into the hands of Melkor, Iritumno was broken, were put there in prison, and by slow arts of cruelty were corrupted and enslaved. And thus did Melkor breed the hideous race of the orcs in envy and mockery of the elves, of whom they were ever afterwards the bitterest foes. Greetings and welcome back to Watch Party Lord of the Rings, where we look at Tolkien through the lens of adaptation. I am joined today uh, by some very special guests, the twin sons of Arendil, Elrond and Elros, aka Ben and Schreeder from the Reading Tolkien podcast, where they analyze Tolkien from a variety of literary perspectives. Welcome, Ben and Schreeder. How's it going? Thanks so much for having us. I, I'm, I'm really excited to have you on today because, uh, so today's another Rings of Power episode. Um, so this is for all the listeners, this is a spoiler alert. Uh, if you don't want to have anything spoiled about the show and you want to go in fresh, um, this is not the episode for you, and click on forward. So, um, But uh, if you'd like to hear all about leaks and stuff, we're going to be talking about Rings of Power, in particular, the orcs. Uh, everything orcish, we're going to do kind of a roundup of all the orcish news we've gotten so far with a particular emphasis on a recent article released by IGN where we got a first look um, of the design of the, of the orcs. We got six pictures, really great pictures. We get to see what they look like, and there's some interesting information in there about where the orcs come from in the context of the show and the direction they might be taking them. So some interesting things to talk about there. And the orcs are kind of a something I'm, uh, they're a group I'm more and more interested in because they kind of get left out of Tolkien analysis by and large. Um, the only time anyone talks about them is with respect to the kind of problematic aspects of their, you know, description, the the racial problems there, the way that Tolkien describes them and kind of connects the description of their physicality to um, certain ethnic groups. And so that gets talked about a lot, but otherwise they're not really explored. Um, and I think part of that is because Tolkien doesn't explore them. They are in many ways just, uh, they're just evil, all evil all day. And uh, at least in his narratives, the, pro- the proper narratives, uh, we don't get a lot of exploration into them as a character. So I, I, I want to spend some time with you um, and both of you talk about Lord of the Rings from a thematic perspective, focusing on themes and, you know, literary, different literary perspectives. Um, you know, what is the role that orcs play in, in Tolkien's legendarium? You know, and how does it fit into, um, you know, modern conceptions of the way of uh, the function of a villain in a narrative and things like that. So I, I think there's some interesting things we can talk about. Uh, and I'm glad to have you both on on to do that. So, um, yeah. I, but before we jump into that, I, I want to just take a pause and, you know, ask you two to describe your podcast, which has going, been going on for a little while now. I've really enjoyed the episodes I've listened to. Um, so kind of talk about how you met each other and started the podcast and um, a little bit of your, a primer on your history with Tolkien. Yeah, I guess, yeah, we, we met... Um just on the internet <laughs> through Twitter a while ago, uh, Shrita was, you know, ha- had left comments on the first few episodes um, of the podcast, which I'd started with someone else. 
Um, but yeah, he was just very busy and it was just clear at the time that we weren't going to be releasing episodes very frequently. So I reached out and said, Hey, do you want to come on and try a few episodes? And yeah, that's how it started. And we've sort of been going since. So, um, so Shrita has now two podcasts because he's also got a classical music podcast, but, um, yeah, it's great to have, have him on as well. So yeah, that, that's kind of how, how we, um, how we, how we met as it were, although we've obviously never met in person being on other sides of the, the globe and, um, having more or less met during the lockdown, I guess, or just before that, I can't remember, but yeah, so we've, we've sort of been, um, yeah, stuck in our respective hemispheres for quite a while. <laughs> Why don't I just jump in? I should mention that it was kind of a devil of a time for all of us to schedule a time, right? Because we're all in different time zones. And so there's like a very narrow window where we're all awake. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's early morning for you, Ben. It's yeah. evening for you, Schroeder. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, middle of the afternoon for me. And, uh, but it, it worked out. We found that just narrow sliver yeah. of a window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a bit difficult being so far. <laughs> you know, I was just going to say that, um, yeah, I, I guess the the idea of the podcast to elaborate on that just a little bit um, originally was to to have a sort of thematic yeah approach. So you know, think of a theme and, and then do an episode on on that theme or something like that. Uh, usually from the books itself. So we'd have talked a bit about the movies and adaptation as well, um, but uh, usually we talk about yeah um, either one of the stories. I think we've done a couple mm -hmm. of episodes on like Eldarion and Arendus, for example. Um, or the theme of um, what else have we done? Um, theme of death or something. <laughs> so um, yeah, so we sort of pick a topic and then go for that. And the original idea was sort of to not to do sort of a, a chapter by chapter sort of thing, which at the time a lot of other podcasts were doing, which is fine. But uh, you know, I sort of felt like I wanted to do something different. Um, so hopefully that's sort of uh, worked out. The the original idea also was to. Um, maybe take like a paper or something that sure. someone had written sort of scholarly article and then also discuss that alongside, um, the, the, you know, the, the theme. Um, so it would be an article about, you know, on, on that theme, obviously. Um, so we haven't, I haven't done that for a while, but yeah, I might, might do something like that again. And interspersed, you know, um, I've also sort of interviewed a few, a few scholars as well. So that's been a really fun part of doing a podcast getting to talk to people um, who, you know, whose work I've read um, over the years, like, uh, I don't know, Brian Rosebury, for example, who's written about talking, yeah. So. Yeah, I've had that same experience. Uh, you know, all of a sudden you're in this universe and I'm, I'm not a Tolkien scholar. I play one on my podcast, but uh, <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're out there and, and uh, doing a podcast, you know, it gives you opportunities to talk to other podcasters, YouTubers, scholars, you know, people that if I was just sitting at home and I wasn't doing a podcast, it's not like I could call them on the phone or have a conversation with them. But, um, you know, doing a podcast or doing a YouTube channel uh, gives you all kinds of opportunities to, to speak with great people like yourselves who I wouldn't have otherwise been able to engage with. So it's it's been a real blessing for me to be able to do that. So without further ado, why don't we go ahead and jump right in here? Um, so the main topic of the day, um, we're going to go through everything we know about orcs, but most of what we gotten has come from this IGN article. And, uh, you know, th there were interviews with uh, the design team. And a lot of the article, about half the article, spends a good amount of time talking about 
uh, prosthetics and the emphasis on prosthetics and and the way the orcs are designed, which is of great interest, but I kind of don't want to talk too much about that uh, because uh, I, I think it's kind of been well publicized that the show is going to be using a lot of practical effects, which is great. I'm very happy about that. Um, but we kind of, it doesn't really tell us that much that's new. I, I think it further supports the notion that they're not going to be relying on CGI. You know, to the extent they use CGI, it will be used to uh, support the the prosthetic effects, um, the prosthetics and the practical effects. So that's all great. That's all good news, but also kind of something we already knew. So I, I want to talk more about what it tells us in terms of the narrative and how the orcs are going to fit into the narrative. Um, and I, I think it, there's some really interesting stuff here. So the first sort of topic I want to get into is, you know, where were the orcs at the start of this show? Um, and how does it match up with the lore we get from the timeline of the Second Age? So I pulled out a little section here. This is a quote from the article, quote, At the end of Tolkien's first age, the orcs were decimated nearly to the point of extinction in the War of Wrath. Since the Rings of Power will be taking place in the Second Age, we meet the creatures as they're scattered across Middle-earth. Thousands of years before they become the earth-shattering force that helps level the realms of elf and man, orcs are low in numbers, down on their luck, and fighting for survival. Um, and I got to, uh, two more segments. I'm just going to, let's read through all of them and then kind of discuss. The, the next quote I pulled out here is, It felt appropriate that their look would be different, part of a wilder, more raw Second Age Middle-earth, closer to where the First Age ends. As we meet them, they're not yet organized into armies. They're a little more scattered, and they've been scavenging. So it's just a different time in their total story. The last quote here I want to read, quote, They kind of disappeared, notes Wilson. Everyone thought, yay, they've been wiped off Middle-earth. But really, they regressed into the dark in small little groups and hid away and lived in tunnels and sort of under Middle-earth because the only way they could hide, because of course they were hunted for so long. So this is really them coming back out as they reform under a so-called new leader who's going to lead them forward. So I guess the first thing I want to address is just that I think this is very, very consistent to how I always envisioned the Second Age starting. You know, the War of Wrath was this great calamity and evil. And we learn this in the, the Council of Elrond, where Elrond talks about, you know, he remembers the, the War of Wrath and the ending of the First Age and how all the, all the elves and everybody, all the free people thought, great, we've ended evil forever. It's done, you know, uh, uh Handle that business, you know, let's move on. There's no more evil left anywhere. Um, but of course, there were. Granted, it was remnants, you know, scraps, uh, dribs and drabs of orcs, but they they were still around and they just hid away. Um, and all was well for, you know, 500 or so years before Sauron kind of reemerged and started slowly gathering these dark forces um, to him. And we saw that also. Every single time he goes down, he comes back over a very, very slow in a very slow way over a long period of time it takes it like a thousand years after um uh, his demise in Numenor I think um maybe not that's not right uh, it was it was shorter in Numenor but uh, after the <laughs> war of the last alliance uh, it took him like you know 1500 years or about 1300 years before he really started coming back so it's really really a slow process and um, I'm glad that this first season of the show is going to focus on you know, the free people's not recognizing that orcs are still a threat and being surprised that they're a threat and then seeing the orcs kind of slowly come out of hiding. Ben, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that definitely accords with how I would understand the Second Age to begin. I mean, my question is, given the time compression in the show, um, how is that going to work? Because it's unclear to me if 
So what this article is suggesting is that we're sort of starting at the the start of the second age, um, but is that what they're going for? Because it seems like from other leaks, if you like, or from other general descriptions of the, the plot, um, mm -hmm. they might only be compressing sort of the latest stage. So the first bit of the second age kind of still happens, but it's just that the fall and the forging of the rings is sort of compressed into one timeline. So I'm wondering if this means that the show is actually sort of um, compressing the entire period. Um, so, which is sort of what I'm getting from this, because if even by the time of um, the forging of the rings, one would, I guess, assume that, um, well, that's unclear if orcs were sort of a thing by then, or if they were known by that. At that stage, but yeah, for me, that's the question that, that sort of comes up. Sort of exactly how they are, how they are compressing the, the period. Is it the whole thing, or is it just the the, the latter part of the stage? Yeah, ab absolutely. Yeah, the the way time compression works is still is a big question mark for me, and that's that's been one of the things I've been. I, that's the one decision I've really I've expressed that I was not happy about. More from a selfish perspective, because if they're compressing the second age, that means there's less room for spin-off stories and elaborate, and they're also tied into this compressed narrative. So any sort of additional shows they do or spin-off shows they do, well, now they have to they have to make it consistent mm. with the lore of this first show, rather than yeah. And so, so there are things that they're cutting out. Their characters are going to have to cut out, and and I'm okay with that in general from the perspective of a single adaptation, but it'll have a ripple effect down the line for any mm. other adaptation that they do. It now has to be consistent with this show um, and things will be lost forever. You know, there'll be storylines that just won't, they won't be able to explore. So selfishly, I was like, just leave it open <laughs> so that we, you can do anything and everything down the road. Um, I, I do understand, you know, artistically mm. and narratively why it might make sense to do that. But I agree with you. I think the compression is, mm. uh, my guess is they're basically going to, it's going to pick up from like, you know, when Sauron returns, which is like early in the second age, like six, 700. So that's when the orcs were first starting to come back. And, and then everything that happens after that, they're jamming into it, but they're going to present it. Like it's the end of the second age. I think they're because they're going to want to retain the uh, perception of history and, you know, distance and things long past. They're going to make references to like many years of the second age, you know, having gone by, they're just going to pack all the events that we know about into the last like hundred years or whatever. That was my impression originally as well, but yeah, that's, that's not right. There's also a possibility that, um, I, I'm saying this on no like basis whatsoever, but there's a possibility to do something where you, you have, um, you, you have the sort of main story points that they hit um being being compressed but then while they're while they're sort of doing that you know you can have you can have for example have characters um you know either telling stories or reminiscing or, or something like that there's maybe a way to right. sort of bring bring in the, the smaller details you know um in a sort of really quick sort of rapid fire way um to to leave more um like possible sort of spin-off stuff um open i don't know if that made any sense but yeah no it it, it totally does and you know, to counter my own argument, you know, compressing thousands of years into 200 years or 100 years, you know, the lifespan of at least Isildur, right? And we know that he lived several hundred years. So let's say they compress the entire Second Age into several hundred years. 
a show that spans several hundred years is still like really, really long from a narrative perspective. I can't think of any show that's done that. Um, I'm sure there are some examples that have tried, but that's still plenty of time in terms of years. Um, so, yeah. you know, maybe they can still include or find ways to include all those narratives that I'm worried they're going to leave out just because it's still 700 years they have to play with. Um, there are other issues with respect to time compression, obviously mortality being a major theme um, and that being expressed in Tolkien's works through the the com- compared life experiences of elves and men. Uh, you know, we're going to we're going to miss that because we're going to get basically one lifespans. We're not going to actually see elves living for thousands of years and the men, you know, generations of men coming and going. Um, but I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but I am hopeful that they will find other ways to explore that theme. Yeah. I'm hopeful of that too. I mean, you said before that <laughs> your wishes were sort of selfish. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I think that's relevant to, or it's, it's appropriate to, you know, express some concern if there's reason for concern. And yeah, it remains to be seen how well the um, time compression will actually work and if it will reflect themes that Tolkien develops. I mean, for me, I, I would have liked um, I would have liked them to have picked, say, just uh-huh. forging the right, and right, right. Done a show about that, uh, leaving aside the fall of Numenor for a later show. Um, you know, I, I just I don't see it necessary that both events have to be sort of crammed into one. You know, there's enough drama in, in, right. in, you know, in, in either situation to to do a show about it. And as you say, you lose a lot of sort of interesting characters, uh, especially the Numenorean queens and kings <laughs> along the way, you know, who sort of all get cast into the sealed or aerial and slate characters. Um, but, yeah. The, the forging of the rings and the first battle between Sauron and, and the elves, you know, the downfall of Aragion, that is that would have been a great show all by itself. You know, you really get to dig deep into all the nuances of the characters in those plot lines. When you put all these different major events into one show, um, and then, you know, mm-hmm. that war, like the forging and the, the first war between elves and Sauron, when that becomes just like, you know, the end of one one season, but not the end of a major arc, it kind of diminishes the significance of all these major events um, and also gives you less time to explore them. Yeah. So that I, I'm yeah. glad you raised that because that is another important thing that may get lost in, in this effort to c- compress the timeline. But let's let's move on. As, as always, I end up getting back to <laughs> compression, which is like my personal gripe. <laughs> but uh, th- there's a second thing that I, I got from this article, which is that the orcs are going to be spotlighted significantly. Um, they're not going to be, you know, just background fodder. They're not just going to be stormtroopers, just, you know, faceless, nameless stormtroopers getting shot as they were in the original Star Wars trilogy, not the new one. Um, and we know this because, and so this this first little leak comes from Fellowship of Fans um, who have, you know, they get a lot of exclusive and leaks. And this was actually from a batch of orc-related leaks that uh, I appeared with them on their stream on March 6th to talk about these. So I don't want to get too into detail on the, the their tweets themselves, but this is, I think, particularly relevant for this issue. So this tweet was just like in the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, there will be an important orc character with lines and a story arc. He is said to look incredibly similar to uh, one of the orcs from Lord of the Rings. Um, and they're referencing kind of this small featured dwarf, uh, not dwarf orc from the two towers, um, 
storyline with Marion Pippin, and he will be one of Adar's commanders. And that gets supported by some snips from the IGN article. Um, quote, it was really important to them to treat them as their own culture and explore their world on its own two legs in its own right. Um, so I, I want to throw this to you, Shreeder. I think this is really interesting because orc culture, that's almost like an oxymoron, right? I mean, that's a it's a conflict in terms because we never get any sort of orc culture. I mean, I guess in The Hobbit, they... They sing, so okay, they can they can sing. Uh, you know, they're, so there are references to orc songs, and there's some reference to the way they live. But I think it would be a stretch to call it culture. And I think that Tolkien kind of made a point of showing the distinction between orcs and what makes them orcish, as compared to other peoples, is that they don't have culture. They don't care about language and all these finer things that to Tolkien defined what makes people people. Orcs don't really have that, uh, at least not in the way that other people do so um i'm not this is very very vague but i want to get both of your senses especially starting with you shreeder where could this go if they're delving into the culture and focusing on like giving an orca storyline what could that mean and how does it sort of uh jive with the way tolkien treated the orcs well i mean not i'm not sure i mean uh, my 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 instinct is to is to is to think that this is kind of a um, a more modern treatment, I guess, of of uh, of evil characters than than what we than 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 what I know of how Tolkien um, treated um, the, you know the the villainous characters of the orcs. But um, I, I'm not I'm not sure exactly. Like, I, I don't know how much they're trying to um, sort of shelve out a whole a whole thing of orc culture. I think I think maybe they're just trying to. Um, show that they are um that they that they actually are not that that, that they're not just can like cannon fodder basically like like you were saying right but i'm i'm not i would be kind of surprised if they if um if they went through and started sort of um hinting at a at a sort of whole you know subterranean um like orcish you know uh history of literature or something like that because i think that would be that would be entirely um Anathema to the text, and uh, but I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I'm curious what, what Ben thinks uh, about that. Um, Tolkien sort of never develops the orcs in, in the text, and uh, that's certainly true. But one sees in his other writings that he was just philosophically very uncertain about the status all, all the way up until he he died. So uh, there's no sort of complete psychological profile that were um, they sort of change and shift depending on the story and depending on the story needs. So yeah, I think I think there's room to do different things with the characters um, in adaptations that can be interesting. But certainly, I would I would sort of be surprised, and also I think it would miss the point if they tried to overly, overtly humanize them uh, and suggest that they were, for example, just misunderstood. But I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true to text. But I mean, I guess you do sort of an anti-adaptation and sort of <laughs> do it that way. But um, so in terms of culture. I think we do get some sense of the culture it's based around their psychology which is like humans they have a psychology of, of violence but it's just ratcheted up to you know a degree that in human even in humans is is often suppressed so you know one could have an interesting culture that's just sort of based completely around violence and you know sort of it's interesting that they mentioned females as well and, and how they depicted it will be interesting um I just imagine great like birthing pits or something <laughs> something 
Hey, have you heard about our sponsor, Four Cats Boutique? So I just pulled up their website to have a look right now, and I am seeing bookmarks, earrings, uh, jewelry, pr- art prints, um, cards. I see uh, Fantastic Four. I see Moon Knight. Wheel of Time is here, Star Wars, lots and lots of fandoms, lots of really gorgeous artwork, lots of collectibles, things to hang on your wall. Definitely a site worth checking out. And of course, Lord of the Ring things as well. So definitely check them out. That's Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's number four, cats with a K, number four, Four Cats Boutique. Check them out. I have new respect for DW's job. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess it could go, I think you may be right, Shreeder. So the Fellowship of Fans, the comparison to the storylines we get in Lord of the Rings, well, it compares it to the focus storylines we get in The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. So now Lord of the Rings, you do have orcs that you recognize. So in that sense, there's like spotlighted orcs, you know, um, who who have names maybe, um, and you just recognize them and you and we get that in the actual Lord of the Rings text, you know, what Gorbag and Shagrat, you know, uh, so you actually hear some dialogue and uh, sort of a side note. I, I think that we get way more humanization of the orcs by Tolkien in Lord of the Rings and elsewhere in the legendarium. It's like one of the first times we get real dialogue that has any sort of nuance. Like the dialogue between them is actually all about how they uh, are mad at their masters and they hope that the, you know, talking about, oh, the war's not going so great. And boy, I wish this war would end and we can just go off and, and pillage some villages like the good old days, you know, for a moment, Tolkien's toying with, well, maybe they have like motivations and, and, you know, we can get into that conversation between those characters. I think there's interesting stuff to unpack there, but in Lord of the Rings, we, we do get some orcs that have mild featured roles, but it's very mild. I think in The Hobbit, they ramp that up a little bit, the way they try and rework Azog and really focusing on his ambitions. And like, there's a scene where Azog is actually like talking back to Sauron, like he's mad at Sauron because Sauron's not giving him his chance to pursue the glory or whatever that he wants to pursue. So, you know, I think that it takes it just a little bit too far in The Hobbit. Like they, I mean, they took a lot of things too far in The Hobbit. (laughs) That didn't work in my opinion, but um uh, you know, I think Azog is an example of that where you get too much of a feature. And, you know, Azog's definitely an evil character in The Hobbit. They don't explore his motives in a way to humanize him, but they're still exploring his motives a lot more than you get anywhere else in, in the other texts or in The Lord of the Rings. And people kind of reacted negatively to that. It just, like, didn't work. Um, whether it's because they were trying to ex- give him more of a feature or just because it was done poorly. I don't, I don't know. You know, it is at least definitely the latter. I don't know how much of the former. Um, but let's, let's kind of get into, you said something, um, Ben, that, that was interesting. And it gets to kind of what I think is the most interesting part of this discussion, which is you said, you know, to humanize the orcs kind of misses the point of their function in, in the narrative and what Tolkien did with them. Um, and, you know, I'll let you speak to what, what you think the point of, them like what their point is um i guess i would say like their point is kind of they have no point in terms of having independent agency they're just like they're red shirts right they're evil uh masses they're just the horde you know the evil horde you could kill a thousand of them and it wouldn't matter you know aragorn at the end of the the lord of the rings when it talks about him doing a great job being king one of the things it says that he does is he basically kills all the orcs. You know, he commits an orcish genocide and that's, there's no like batting of an eye about whether or not there's a moral problem there. You know, they are the way that they're um, presented 
in the in the text in the narrative they're irredeemably evil there's no question about their their humanity they're basically beasts that should and can and should be just slaughtered at, at, you know at will and i think i think that's kind of a, a problem and i'm not talking about like the broader morality I, th- I think tolkien thought it was a problem and he had it's a problem within his own legendarium like the rules of the the cosmology that he created you know the the origin story for the elves or for the orcs that we that we get in the Silmarillion and granted Tolkien never nailed it down to his satisfaction, but it was the one that he worked with for most of his life is that orcs were elves that had been captured by Morgoth, twisted and corrupted to such a degree that they remained orcs. And I guess all of their heirs, you know, popped out as orcs for eternity, but that's so inconsistent with, um, you know, the system of fair and Hroa, you know, the idea elves have spirits when those elves die, their spirits are supposed to go back to the halls of Mandos for judgment, and then they're rehoused. Um, if orcs are elves who have been twisted and corrupted, um, which unquestionably is a tragedy, they are victims in this process, right? Um, when they die, what happens to their spirits? You know, are, are they are they treated as irredeemably evil spirits, um, or is there any acknowledgement of the the victimization that they've gone through? And Tolkien also says that uh, evil cannot create, it merely corrupts and mocks. So how can it be that Morgoth twists and corrupts them so significantly that that and the elf's children and children's children forever, they're all orcs. They, they all are damned, I guess you could say. And Tolkien kind of struggled with that. I'm not laying this foundation to advocate for anything one way or the other, but I'm just sort of putting this out there as this is kind of this is a complex issue that he struggled with and didn't find an answer to. And if you go, like if a person who wanted to adapt Tolkien wanted to go down this rabbit hole and follow certain things to their logical conclusion, it would be tempting to explore the victimization of the orcs and what that would mean. And maybe there are some orcs that should be given a chance at redemption because that's a major sub theme in, in Tolkien. Everybody gets a chance at redemption except for orcs. Apparently, you know, Sauron had a chance at redemption. Morgoth had a chance at redemption, but not orcs, never orcs. Tolkien just didn't worry about them in his narrative writing process. It seems like he didn't really worry about fitting them into the rules he had otherwise set for the world, but then he struggled with that later on. So, um, so then I got, I want to throw it back to you all to sort of comment on that. And if someone were to go down that, that road, I think it would hit a lot of fans. It would hit me as odd. It would not feel right to explore the humanity of orcs. That's not how we see them in the narrative. But I could understand someone going through the, the sort of cognitive writing process and going, well, we, we got to if we're going to accept, you know, this is true and this backstory is true. We got to explore it, you know. So I kind of want to hear your thoughts about that. Ben, do you want to take this first or should I? So when Tolkien, as it were, adapts the idea of the orcs, he's already sort of working with a, you know, a race, if you like, of, of beings that are sort of non, non-human. So where do you go with that to use sort of try and humanize them in your literature as you mentioned sort of go some way towards the, the lord of the rings or do you sort of treat them as sort of folklore zombies and as i mentioned i, I just think it, it, it really depends on the needs of the text so at the battle of the black gate all the creatures of sauron lose their minds and run around like ants and fall into the holes when sauron you know is overthrown and they just act like you know like um like like sort of zombies or yeah, maybe that's not a good analogy. <laughs> you know, they sort of act mildly. 
Well, because that's that's arguably uh, a point you could raise in favor of them being victims, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to play this devil's advocate uh, perspective because there is an element of compulsion in the relationship with their masters, right? And so if someone's compelled against their will or oh, nature, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's established sure. that yeah. it is sort of in their nature to be to, to, to be hostile, but mm. they're fueled with Sauron's malice, and yeah. Morgoth com- compels them to, to be more warlike and to uh, be more active. Um, certainly that places them a little bit more in the victim column if you wanted to explore that. Yeah, and then elsewhere in the story, as I mentioned, like, yeah, he'll humanize them. But it, so it really depends for me... It, it, it's clear that when Tolkien's writing his characters, it's not he's not being such about the metaphysics of spirits and proa and whatever. He's he's thinking about the needs of the story. And I've said this for a lot of things. Like I think a lot of Tolkien's later metaphysical stuff is is just um, I wouldn't say I want to top it out, but I don't think it's particularly useful for understanding his earlier <laughs> writing. So I think if we look at the text itself, we just see contradictions. We you know sort of metaphysical or otherwise and. We just sort of have to live with that, and in an adaptation, I think you can, you know, you can go either way. I think, I think to to say that we take the orcs as victims, again, missing the point, as it were. If I may jump in real quick, I think as a general point with with all literature or even movies and TV shows, um, my my instinct is to not really ask. Um, to, to sort of go off of Ben's point, it's not it's not really to ask questions such as, um, um, you know, are, are the orcs victims or not, but but to to sort of ask, um, what what is the what role are they playing in this particular scene or in this in this story? Um, what what is their what is their sort of literary usefulness, and um, are, are they are they what, what kind of sort of foil are they are they, are they playing, and. Um, I think it's very important to to keep that perspective because this is ultimately fiction, and one can in the in the um, in the analysis of, of fiction, one can sort of get lost if if one puts too much uh, of a of a of a spotlight on on every little thing, right? Um, there there is there is a sense in which that there's uh, it, all fiction is is extraordinarily fake right that sounds stupid to say but it's it's really not anything like real life um not everyone is um a complex character that that deserves a sort of um you know iceberg analysis um sometimes actually pretty much all the time you have to you have to sort of look at their function within the text um so the the i don't i don't know where the the sort of modern instinct to to Basically, find every single character in a in a plotline, and then do you know what what amounts to essentially a, a spinoff series about uh, how they came to be that way, and uh, and and all that thing. I think that's a it, it's a good way to sort of keep a story going, and it's a good way to engage fans because I think these are the kinds of discussions that fans have that are off the page. But I think when you're doing an adaptation, you have to be really careful to not bloat your narrative that way. Uh, so so I think um, it, it would become it would become sort of unfeasibly um, lopsided if you if you suddenly start to um, uh, sort of put too much of a spotlight on the orcs or humanize them in too too much of a way because then you start making the good guys look less good and um, obviously that's that, that's true in real life but you have to remember that this, this is fiction. A, a comic example would be you know um, I didn't watch all three of the new um, Star Wars trilogy thing but um you know since they started um humanizing the the stormtroopers and then there was one scene where um you know the good guys uh they 
I, I forget exactly what happens, but they, they, they trip up the, the vehicle that they're in, and it sort of ends in a fiery crash. And, you know, obviously, clearly they're all dead, but the, the good guys are sort of laughing it off, like, oh, wasn't that an awesome move that we just pulled off? And it's like, no, you, that was horrible. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 bloats the, it, it bloats the reaction that the viewer has to the, to the fiction that they're, that they're viewing. So um, I, I think that distinction has to be made. I don't know if that was clear, but... Um, the conversations that, as, as fans, the conversations that we have about um, are the orcs victims, that's like a, that's an interesting conversation to have. But I think when you're actually making something, you have to be more ruthless about um, about the, the the function that that characters play within the within the narrative. You know, so it, it would be a shame to see them go down too much that that route because I think it would just make it less effective as a as a piece of art. Yeah, I, I think that. I think that I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think I agree with you very much. Um, you know, it is a trend. You're right. You mentioned sort of modern storytelling. Uh, typically, the the preference is to explore the nuances of every character. Every hero has a dark side. Your villains are uh, redeemable and sympathetic. You know, so that's why you get great shows like Sopranos and and Breaking Bad, where the the line between villain and hero you know antagonist and protagonist is extremely blurred and i love those shows they're so good i think they're they're way more interesting than stuff we had on tv before which was oversimplified you had white hat black hat and it, it, you know it's not as good especially because a lot of the fiction is dealing with real people um and i think to your point we have to remember this is a little bit different this is a different type of fiction which is not to say that you don't want it to feel realistic um, it has to have its own sort of realism, but I think the the way Tolkien wrote and the way he used orcs as a narrative device, they're the bad guys. He just really kind of embraced that. They're sort of this demonic force, and um, he did not, it never sort of entertained the notion that they could be redeemable and all that stuff. And I think we just kind of have to em- embrace that. And you know, thinking about his later me- metaphysical stuff and and. You know, he never fully incorporated that. You know, he had desires to rework his entire legendarium to comport with certain metaphysical changes and philosophical changes he was considering. He never really got through that process. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it makes my head hurt to try and reconcile the two. And I I think for the purposes of this adaptation, it's just probably better just not to think about that. If you just go orcs bad and and don't consider all those other questions, um, it, it makes the narrative a little bit more... Um, functional. Yeah, you can focus on the things that you need to focus on. Yeah, there's a great article by um, Tom Shippey, who actually you may may have heard heard of, um, one of the foremost Tolkien scholars. Um, And um, he uh, wrote an article called, I think it's it's about orcs, and I can't remember the title, but he makes a good argument that yes, the orcs are those sort of scenes in the Lord of the Rings where you get the dog, the orcs, like Shagrat, Gorbag, and um, and, and, and they're sort of being taken by the orcs. Really, it's not sort of being inconsistent in his characterization of the orcs, but it's sort of a an, ex, an exploration of the of the sort of negative psychology of the orcs. So, um, yes, they have sort of desires and or they express desires and sort of an interest in in freedom, as we say. But um, and even sort of, there's even a sense of camaraderie there in their dialogue, right? Yes, we should go back to the good old days and pillage the villages, whatever they say. But as soon as as soon as the situation changed, it's that they they stab each other in the back. So 
Shippy's point, and he's reckless that you shouldn't we shouldn't read too much into that um, that humanizing dialogue because the point of, of the point of those chapters is is that even though they all sort of have some human tendencies, that, like you know, that desires um, for certain um, kinds of freedom, we will find relatable. In the end, the psychology of violence all of this sort of just um, rears its head. That they can't. The tragedy of the orcs is that they they can't live sort of in peaceful societies. They're, they're sort of all drawn to their their, their sort of more violent nature. Um, and I don't know. I tend to think about I tend to think about that paper when I um, when I'm reading those passages because I think it sort of it's not as though Tolkien in those passages is trying to do the modern thing of sort of make us sympathetic um, or fully sympathetic with, with the but you're trying to explore something about the psychology of evil, for example, or what characters psychology of evil, I guess. And so, you know, an observation that critics have often said of Tolkien is, is that against the grain of a lot of other literature in the 20th century, at least at least popular literature, to, um, to draw a, a distinction between, you know, the good and evil, um, and to speak of that, to explore that, you know, as though it's sort of a metaphysical reality in our world. And, you know, although that's got gotten some flack recently, um, especially in, in this fantasy and sort of the tendency towards grimdark fantasy, which sort of, as you mentioned, sort of blurs the line between good and evil, as it were. Tolkien was certainly not alone in the 20th century in, in considering and having a small realist view towards um you know towards these matters so i think as long as the adaptation the rings of power or any other adaptation i think it needs to maintain that view to be as it were true to tolkien to maintain a sort of moral realist view and as soon as you start suggesting that uh some recent art of television suggests that the kind of there are very poor distinctions between between good and evil and, and sort of moral um, points of view, and, and I think as soon as you go down that road, you're sort of you're not adapting Tolkien. You're perhaps you're doing something different. So you know, maybe you want to do something different, and that's fine. But then I would question question the reason for for doing that adaptation. And in the case, I think the show the Rings of Power needs to maintain that kind of that kind of moral perspective. And you know, there's no shortage of nuanced characters and complex characters. I, I think that the criticism that Tolkien wrote, created a world where there's just mm. good guys and bad guys. I, I think most fans and scholars pretty much accept that as total bunk. Um, I mean, you know, you have Boromir, you have Feanor, you have um, Gollum. I mean, for heaven's sake, you know, Gollum fully, fully corrupted, but still has his chance at redemption, you know, so close to the end. Mm. So he writes uh, about a lot of conflicted characters, characters who make bad choices. Um, there is always a clear morality, you know, th- the statement that there's a good and evil, a simple, a simple good and evil in the world is, is relatively true. There is a morality that is expressed throughout the text that there's no, um, there's no doubt within the reader's mind what the right choice is, but the characters in the story sometimes don't know what the right choice is and they make wrong choices. Um, but all those nu- those nuanced characters, those exist within, um, basically the orcs fall true. outside of that. Yeah. I think they are meant to sort of represent uh, they are basically the presence of evil in the world. That is their function in the narrative. Um, you know, they are the offspring of Morgoth and the offspring of Sauron. They are 
their agents in the world. And um, I, I don't think they're meant, they just don't fall within the parameters of the uh, of the people in the narrative that can be redeemed and that are complex and that you know all these interesting choices and plot lines that you would want to explore occur in they're just evil in the world which is why when sauron is finally defeated it's fine that they're all killed off by aragorn because they're just they're just the remnants of evil um and i think trying to get too deep into the backstory and you know basically trying too hard to answer the questions that i have posed to you on this podcast it kind of muddies that up a little bit in the narrative. I still like asking those questions and thinking about it and, and, you know, doing fanfic in my head. But the point is the narrative that we got in the Lord of the Rings and a lot of what we get in the Silmarillion, their function is basically just evil expressed in the world, you know, animated evil. Um, and, and so Schroeder, you're, you're saying you just have to ask what's their narrative function. And, and I think that's the answer and that they should kind of try and stick to that and resist the urge to explore all these little bunny trails and hobbit holes, you know, of, uh, of lore that they could try and try and get into because it opens up a bit of a can of worms, especially with fans who aren't familiar yeah. with, with Tolkien, right? You know, this may be the first exposure for a lot of people. So they're going to be seeing these orcs. And so if they're, if they get too much into like the origin of, of orcs being, well, they were corrupted elves and boy, those poor elves who were corrupted, and some people are going to be watching this like, that kind of sucks. Like, why are we just killing off all these poor people who are victims? You know, they, they have to be careful about how they do that. That's actually a really good point, though, the last one that you made. That, that's something that never occurred to me, but that's, that's true. I'll also say just real quick that, um, that I don't think the visual medium really, it, it maybe can lend itself in certain cases. But, I mean, as you've said earlier that, you know, the time compression is already a problem. Um, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that um, they should be um, spending their time on on this particular issue. You know, when time is 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 a is a precious resource. Um, I think of the way that they that um, Stanley Kubrick and, and Arthur C. Clarke adapted uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey from the from the novel that Arthur Clarke wrote to the to the movie that Kubrick made. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the questions about you know what exactly is a monolith and um, where did it come from and who made it and why? That's in the book, and I think it's a very um, interesting and you know it's a decision to worth studying that that those were all removed when it was translated into the visual medium. I think I think some things work better when you have the space to sort of flesh them out and 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 go through it and other things you know in in certain things like movies and TV shows. I think you have to think a little bit differently. So um, that, that that's yet another problem with adaptation that. That I'm worried right. that is not going to be dealt with super super well, but that's a side note. So well, and the last thing I'll say on this point is I think I've already said they have to deal with it carefully, and I, I want to make a finer point of that, you know, and really highlight the knife edge they have to walk because while I do think they that orcs need to essentially be the representation of evil in the world, they have to be unquestionably the bad guys. Um, I don't want them to be like Trollocs in the wheel of time where they're completely mindless beasts um, because they weren't that, you know, <laughs> there is a level of, of, of the reflection of humanity in them in terms of they have dialogue with each other, but they're meant to be kind of like a brutish human, like uh, uh, something that you can recognize in the jerks you've met, you've met in your life, you know, um, uh, they're really, really rough and uncouth and uh, really kind of offensive, but there is still something you know, familiar about it. Maybe you've met somebody that exhibits orcish behavior. And, you know, I want to, I, there are a couple of quotes from 
Tolkien's letters, I mean, you know, he he quoted himself a lot of times. He would talk about the war, World War II, in letters to his son Christopher, and he would draw comparisons to to the orcs and talk about so and so's being orcish and and uh, you know he acknowledges there's no uh, one side that's all evil. There's orcishness everywhere. And so a couple quotes here in a 1954 letter, that's 153, letter 153, he called orcs, quote, fundamentally a race of rational incarnate creatures, the horribly corrupted, if no more so than many men to be met today. So they have to keep it kind of within the realm of familiarity. Uh, and then here's something from a letter he wrote to Christopher Tolkien, who served in, in the war. And um, Tolkien said, quote, for we are attempting to conquer Sauron with the ring. And sort of a side note, Tolkien had said elsewhere that um, trying to defeat evil with evil would just result in the propagation of more evil. So you, the only way to really end evil in the world is to destroy the ring. So that's why he's making that reference. For we, the Allies, are attempting to conquer Sauron, which would be the, ax, uh, uh, the Axis in World War II, with the ring. And we shall, it seems, succeed. But the penalty is, as you will know, to breed new Saurons and slowly turn men and elves into orcs. Not that in real life things are as clear-cut as in a story. And we started out with a great many orcs on our side. So I, I love that quote because Tolkien is fully aware of the limits of his own story and how it is a story. And, it, you know, there are certain things that are meant to be elemental and simplified and that in real life there are orcs on both sides. So just to bring it back, I think the orcs need to be evil, but familiar, evil in a familiar way, in a human way. And I think that's where... That's where Tom Dippy's article can be useful again. And just, uh, I found what it's called, uh, Orcs, Wraiths, White, Tolkien's Images of Evil, for anyone who's interested. Um, it's really the psychology of the Orcs that sort of is important. Um, so they, they can have some tensions towards, you know, buddying up and, and going, you know, going on a sort of Orcish rampage, you know, <laughs> like good old friends. Um, but, um, the end walls turn around and stab each other in the back, you know, sort of. So I think as long as you sort of stick to that picture, you can, you know, say something interesting about the sort of nature of all. But um, if you suggest that, well, yeah, the orcs are actually just misunderstood people. Um, It'd be very tempting to have an orc defector, right? We saw this in the new the new version of the of Star Wars, right? The stormtrooper who defected, um, which I, it, it makes sense in mm, Star Wars, mm. I guess, but you know, from a world building perspective, but also narratively, like the original star Wars was so archetype archetypal. Um, and George Lucas was so good at creating just like, you know, Luke Skywalker is wearing all white, you know, I mean, it, what does that tell you? He just really doubled down on all these really simple ways of, of, of visually communicating and within the narrative communicating good and evil. Um, and, and so to do that, to bring it back to Tolkien, it might be tempting to have an orc that, defects and wants to help and you know blah 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 and mm. if that happens i i i don't know maybe i could be convinced but my instinct now is that i really really would not like that so um one i think there's one other point that i want to discuss one of the concept before we get into the pictures um which pictures are, are great i'm excited to, to look at them with you guys uh but that is the question of female orcs that was one confirmation we got in this article that I think was really interesting, and it ended up being the focal point of a lot of people's uh, discussion. Um, a lot of people sort of honed in on that. You know, there there's always that corner that says, "Oh, they're worried about female representation and woke, blah blah blah." You know, so uh, 
for those people, they got upset, okay, that there are female orcs. Uh, I don't know. Um, but let me just read the quote, and then we'll talk about it. Well, they'll always be upset. So uh, from the article, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> orcs will always be orcs. They'll always be upset. Okay. Um, quote, there are some female orcs that I truly loved, she said. But there's one orc in particular who's very tall and strong, who has a particularly enjoyable fight with one of our elven characters that I suspect will be or hope will be a favorite among fans. So that second part, you know, she's talking about what her favorite orc moment is. Okay, there's a great, there's going to be a great orc battle scene. But that first sentence is, there's some female orcs that I truly loved. Okay, there will be female orcs. Now, as, uh, as far as I know, there have never been orcs visually depicted on screen. I know some people pointed to a couple of orcs from Peter Jackson's films um, where they said, well, I thought this was a female orc. I thought this was a female orc. Okay, I don't know. Certainly their femaleness was never a part of any story or confirmed. Um, and if it's being called out here in this article that there are female orcs, I assume that their femaleness will be reflected in some way. And I don't just mean visually, but like, you know, it'll be referenced somehow um, that, that they are female. Um, and, and and before we jump into like sort of the thematic quality of that decision or what that could mean for the, the story, just on the lore point, I just want to make clear, yes, that that's in the Silmarillion that there have to be females because uh, chapter three, chapter three of the Quintus Silmarillion, quote, for the orcs had life and multiplied after the manner of the children of Lubatar. Multiplied after the manner of the children of Lubatar, you know, which are men and elves, they procreate, you know, the normal fun way. So do orcs, I guess is what that means. <laughs> um, so, yeah, of course, there have to be female orcs. But bringing it back to the story in The Lord of the Rings, at least, um, and even in the Silmarillion, other than that confirmation that, that that is technically true, can either of you point to any place in the Silmarillion or the Lord of the Rings where we see a female orc or it's confirmed that there are female orcs among the hordes you know, or anything? I can't. I couldn't think of any. I don't think they ever are present as far as we know. Yeah, I sort of, as I mentioned before, I can, I can imagine like, I think pits or something. I, I just can't imagine female looks being treated very well, but you know, I guess we'll see what they do with it. I think I think we can be pretty certain that they're not treated well. <laughs> it's just not the orcish way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I think is implied in this article that there will be female orcs and also female orcs among the warriors. So I know people like you know when they debate, well, what are the females doing in the orcish societies? assuming that they would just be for breeding purposes. God, this is a, this is an uncomfortable conversation, <laughs> but like that, that's how they would be treated in the orcish community. And like the men would be warriors and the females would be blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't, I don't know that that, I certainly don't think that needs to be true. There's no reason why female orcs wouldn't also be warriors and they wouldn't be amongst the horde. Um, but I, so I have no, uh, obviously have no problem with there being female orcs in the story female orcs among the warriors. My question is, will their femaleness matter in the story? And the reason I'm raising that is that gets into like the humanization of, of these people. Right. I mean, because if you have female orcs and their femaleness is referenced uh, in what context is it referenced? Is there a family unit? Are we going to see like an orc family, um, you know, orc pairings, if they're just there, just like, you know, if they're just there like any other orc and okay, they're female, but like, it doesn't, I don't think an orc being male or female matters because they're orcs. And that's kind of the function as we just discussed their function. in The story is just to be 
like these evil, uh, the evil horde. And if there are female orcs within the evil horde, great. Um, but if they start exploring like family units or relationships between them, it just gets into like the, like we just discussed territory that I think would be better left on the sidelines for the purposes of narrative. So, uh, I don't know what I want. I really want to hear Schroeder. What do you think about the potential usefulness of having gender specified amongst the orcs in the narrative? I think I more or less agree with you in that, um, you know, I think if they're going to be female orcs, great, more power to them. But I think they're going to, the only way that I can envision it working is if they're real sort of badass fighter orcs that are, that are you know, evil in the same frame as, as any other, um, you know, male uh, orc, right? I, I, like, like you said, I think at the moment that we start seeing, um, like, you know, housing situations and family units and females being, especially if they, if there's sort of depictions of orcs being motherly. I mean, we've got a real problem on our hands, right? Um, there's, there's nothing more humanizing than, than like a mother with a, with a child. So, um, or even like, you know, if they're, if yeah, they're showing f- uh, family units, you know, an orc being fatherly on the same token, if they're getting into that, yeah, that territory, yeah, sure, right? Sure, I mean, sure. yeah, it, it becomes right. a problem. Yeah, it's this, it's, yeah, the, the reason I said motherly is because specifically yeah, of the, yeah. the female thing. But yeah, um, yeah, we, we got a real, if we start seeing orc families, um, that's game over for, for the whole, you know, good side, right? That's, so, yeah, I, I think like or, orc warriors doing like fights, awesome. Um, but orc families, I'm going to, I'm going to have to like give that a thumbs down, but I don't know, Ben, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just agree. I mean, um, I think, you know, we sort of talk for about orcs being sort of, um, brutal or a representation of humanity's brutal nature. So, you know, I think if we're thinking about it in terms of that, then how might you translate, say, family life? in a very brutal way, right, that reflects this psychology of, of violence and sort of um, hmm. that, that the orcs have, um, not in a way that is sort of redeeming of that, but in a way that is um, disturbing to the audience. And given it as a, I don't know, I don't know what the rating of the show is, I guess it's not quite Game of Thrones level in terms of violence, and I don't know if they'll go down that path, but... Um, that would be sort of how I think about it. Uh, what's the worst element of human nature? Well, that's what the orcs are, you know, all the time kind of thing. All right. I think you've completely changed my mind, actually. I really like that. Or maybe like isn't the right word, but I'm really intrigued by that. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, before I was saying, let's not peek behind the curtain because what we see there might humanize them. But your point is, I think a very, very good one is that if, they do let us peek behind the curtain and see, you know, how their communities function. Your point is they could do it in a way so that we don't like what we see. And that further, um, uh, uh, further establishes their orcishness, right. In, in a very visceral way. So like, and in probably a more powerful way, even because just seeing somebody on the battlefield and like, you know, there, there is no, okay, we get it. They're like evil, but it doesn't like, it's an evil that doesn't necessarily grab you in your gut. Maybe like it disgusts you. But like if you if you peel back the mm-hmm. the curtain, you you go into the the communities and you see what and I I don't even want to suggest how they might do it, but you see something that is really in conflict with 
um, or like community standards and our morality, you know, um, <laughs> treatment of, of children, you know, see something that really yeah, just grabs yeah. you in a visceral way. That could be a really effective way of establishing how orcish the orcs are. Are you guys ready to look at the pictures and talk about the, the design? So when we get into the design and a lot of this article was about design, the, the look of the orcs. And a lot of this pre-show, these pre-show leaks and discussion ends up focusing on looks because that's kind of like the thing that I get like tend to get a little bit tired of that conversation because we really can't know anything about what the story is going to be like just based on pictures. And yet people just go from like zero to 60 in terms of their opinions based on a single for a single image. And I get kind of tired of that. It's like, let's just let's just pause. You know, we don't really know anything, but these are some pretty, pretty fun images and ultimately uh, television is a visual medium, so it, it, it is fun to look at that. So uh, one quote I wanted to reference from this article um, is that the way they approached the design of the orcs, you know, obviously Weta Digital and Weta um, Workshop, they're both still involved in the show. The, those are the folks who gave us the orcs in the Peter Jackson trilogy. They're still involved in the and running the practical effects for the show. You would imagine that they might just use all the same stuff. Um, I was really expecting, I was actually a little bit bummed, and I've said this before on this pod, as much as I love, absolutely love, love, love their work with the Jackson trilogy, um, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, I, I wanted a, something a little bit different in terms of look. I wanted to see a different version, a different take. And so I was a little bit bummed when it was confirmed that Weta was involved, just because it meant to me, I was like, well, I guess I'm going to be seeing the exact same orcs I've seen before. I'm going to see the exact same elves that I've seen before, maybe with a very slight tweak, right? Um, but I, th I think from this article, we get the sense that they have sort of gone back to the drawing board and completely reimagined how orcs would look at this point. You know, this is five, six, you know, depending on how they calculate the time compression, this is five, 6,000 years before the events of, um, of the Lord of the Rings. And they say, quote, this is kind of before the next range of big battles. So there's a lot more smooth texture there's still wrinkles and lines and shape and form, but they're not so battle scarred, uh, but they're dealing with some skin conditions because of their exposure to the sun. They're coming back out for the first time again. So it's all a bit new. That's why they're not as dark skinned necessarily, not as muscly and not as battle worn as you'd seen in previous productions. So consistent with the first topic we talked about, you know, where they conceived of them as basically coming out of their dark caves for the first time in hundreds of years, you know, they've been hiding out, not engaging a lot of battles of any kind. They've been hiding underground. Um, now they're finally coming out. That Those orcs would have a different look than the orcs who have been out and about and battling for, for generations. And I think that's an interesting approach and a sensible one. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Um. <laughs> Here on the screen, we have a picture of an orc. Uh, I think this is... From the framing, um, we've seen shots of Arondir in the like original teaser where he like grabs the arrow and he's in some sort of forest battle. This looks like the same forest to me. So I think these orcs are the, the, the folks who are shooting arrows at Arondir in, in, that, in the original teaser trailer. And we see an orc who's sword in hand. He's running after somebody, I don't know, probably Arondir. And this design is just fascinating. Um, we see this helmet, and we've seen this orc in another picture coming up later. But he's got a helmet that looks to me, and we'll talk about the face and everything, the skin and the design of that, but this helmet 
really catches my eye. It looks like bone, you know, the, the bone skull of some sort of animal. Um, you see the, I don't know if this is a shirt or, you know, some sort of outer garment that almost looks like, it looks scaly, like some sort of hide that's been repurposed into, into clothing. Um, and you see they do have chain mail, but this looks like the same chain mail we've seen on some of the Noldor elves in other photos, which to me means this has been scavenged. Um, so I, you know, to me, this is, these are orcs that are a little more rudimentary. Their, their weaponry is more rudimentary. Their, their armor, they don't have metal armor the same way we see in Lord of the Rings. They're scavenging. They're using bone. They're using, you know, animal hide, um, for clothing. And, um, so it's a much more rudimentary take. What do you guys think? I think it looks awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have much of an opinion. I, I, I love the, I love the look. I, I like that it's different. I, like you said, I was, um, I was very glad to see that they're taking a different um, approach and that just the, the look sort of starts fresh. And I just think, I, I think they, they nailed it. But yeah, Ben. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean. It looks good. Um, yeah, like the bone or whatever helmet that is. Um, <laughs> the use of sort of organic materials is kind of uh, fitting somehow, and the scavenged materials. Um, so yeah, um, the cobbled together weapons, um, very sort of yeah, goblin-like in that sort of um, in that sort of almost folksy way. So I, I like that. Right. Although scary as well. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and that was, I guess I should just ask uh, f- for both of you, I, I'm sure you've seen these images before, just uh, from a global sense, what was your visceral reaction, your first gut reaction when you saw these photos? Um, I- I'll tell you that mine was, I was very enthusiastic, I guess I should say, because even though on, you know, the more I look at them, they're not like that different. They're not like a totally different universe from the orcs we've seen in, in Peter J- the Peter Jackson trilogy. But when I just first looked at them, it felt very different to me somehow. And it felt more connected. These orcs felt more connected to elves. Like I could, you could almost see that they were elves and you could see the torture that they had gone through, the yeah. mutilation that they had gone through. You know, you get a little bit more of a connection to that tortured history um, because they're a little less like some of the, some of the orcs in the, Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit trilogy later, like there was just crazy stuff. Like, like, I don't know, arms, like arms growing out of their back and like the armor that had been like pressed into their flesh, like kind of, um, to the point where it took me out of it being like a realistic world. It didn't feel as realistic. It was very fantastical, not in a good way. Um, and all these orcs feel very like gritty and grimy and very realistic. Uh, and I, I was like, oh, this is so great. You know, <laughs> I just thought this is so great. So, uh, uh, Ben, why don't we start with you? First gut reactions. I guess my first gut reactions was, yeah, this looks right, you know, um, for the second age. Um, yeah, something sort of a bit more primal than um, than the third age orcs with their, um, their spiky armor <laughs> jacks movies, uh, which was a little overdone at times, as you say. So yeah, it looks good, and the, yeah, that they sort of have resemblance to um, to elves, which you pointed out that slight, slightly more gracile nature, that, that brutal nature, which is so important to the orcs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I, my my reaction was just that 
um, I think they look awesome. I, I think I think they look more more scary, quite frankly, than than the than the orcs in the, in the Lord of the Rings for for many of the reasons that that you've both already said. I think um, they they're just they seem more. I mean, re- realistic is not a good word to use here, but they seem they seem more. Um, I don't know. There's there's more information given to me that they're that they're sort of feisty, brutal, resourceful. They're they're, they're more. Um, they're, there's more given to me than than the than the orcs from the Lord of the Rings, which is just um, either sort of comically disfigured or sort of just looking like video game brutes um, in, in armor. There's not. It, it's it. They can be more sort of quote unquote scary looking in the in the Lord of the Rings, maybe, but but not as much information about their. I guess maybe provenance or something is not is not it's not given to me. Whereas when I, when I look at these orcs, I think, oh yeah, they know what they're doing. Like they, you know, um, like you said, they're they're scavenging materials. They're they're using the the, the bone to make the helmet. It's like yeah, you you better run from this guy, right? He's not like a video. He's not like a video game character. You can like shoot down. It's, he's coming to get you, and it's not going to end right. Well. And that reminds me of a quote we got out of uh, an interview, another article. I think it was the Empire Magazine article, um, and it was a statement by I think JD Payne. Where he talked about how they want, in terms of the action, um, you know, he said there was going to be a lot of action in the show, but a lot of like really action-packed set pieces that it wasn't focused so much on big battles as you know they were going to have they were really going to zoom in on uh, well, what's it like to have an orc attack you in your kitchen, you know, and to be confronted with that sort of very um, that very potentially fatal encounter. Because when you have a thousand orcs on a battlefield, the 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 fear that should be created by one orc like it evaporates. You know, you just you're slaying a bunch of orcs. A single orc isn't really a big deal. You know, Gimli and Legolas are joking about how many orcs they killed. Like, okay, I guess these orcs are not really a threat, but they really should be. You know, a single orc should be terrifying. And I like that they were focusing on that. And I, you get that in the, the the design of these orcs. I think like you meet this guy in a, in a dark alley you're going to be scared. <laughs> you know, this guy looks looks like uh, he can do some stuff to you that you don't want to have done. So um, I, I really liked hearing that. Two things before we move on from this particular photo. Someone took a big chomp out of his ear, and I bet it was another orc. <laughs> but I like that. You know, it, uh, Or maybe, I don't know, Mike Tyson. And I guess this is a loincloth, which I'm going to be juvenile for here. Yeah, this is pretty long. I don't know what's going on underneath there. <laughs> Maybe that's getting cut from this podcast. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Uh, just as, as a as a quick side note, um, I don't know if you've ever read the novels of Art Scott Baker. Uh, he's a fantasy writer, but he's written very he's written um, some novels that are loosely based on Hawking's world. You know, hmm. inspired by, um, but they're very sort of dark nihilistic um, novels and he has this race of creatures called the shrank the shrank and um what their features is is that they are you know i mean it's all it, baker is, is much more um explicit than, than the tolkien and so one of the things that they do is you know around you know raping everyone it's, they're, they're really, really cruel creatures um but you know one feature is that they're very well endowed um, <laughs> and that's made explicit <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of a very dark kind of you know, mirror to Tolkien, but <laughs> right, right. 
Yeah, that's the you know <laughs> things that Tolkien would never mention for five hundred, Alex. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this guy. I think this was actually the first image we've got. This is a close up on the face of an orc. Another bone helmet. At least it looks like bone, but it's been carved in the shape of a normal helmet. You see like the the pieces come down around the chin. Um you see a very bloody arrow head uh that's been attached to the the helmet and uh I don't know what's going on with the nose. I mean, I, I we saw that in the last photo as well. I think this is maybe just a, a feature of their noses, kind of like extra, like abnormally large nostrils that look like they've been cut up the nose, the shaft of the nose. Um, this this guy's is very very high, so maybe that's a feature we'll see, and in, in, that's common among all the orcs. But um, again, we kind of see the the snake skin. I don't know that it's snake skin, but it's some sort of hide that he's wearing on his torso uh, or she, there's really no way to tell from, from these orcs, but just gruesome. One thing I wanted to point out that I thought was interesting is blue eyes, blue eyes on this orc. Not, not a usual feature to have, I don't know, light eyes on an evil villain, just sort of, sort of visual aesthetics that are common, um, common reference points. You just don't usually see that. The only other example I can think of is, is the White Walkers from Game of Thrones? So maybe, maybe that was sort of a influenced by that somehow. I do have to say, just to jump in on the on the eyes and the nose talk. Um, I mean, we're we're quickly getting into the realm of nonsense here, but it, it's <laughs> a little bit disconcerting how they have um, how they have sort of uh, mammalian eyes and reptilian noses um, mm. so close together. You know, it, it's clearly um, it's obviously a design choice to to give them. Uh, sort of as many reptilian features as, as possible to uh, to I don't, I don't know why I think that's just a sort of a, a sort of evil archetype you know in, in sort of monster look but I, I can't actually remember now um, in the uh, Jackson movies whether they had reptilian eyes as well or if they had sort of more more mammalian eyes because I, I seem to remember because like you know one of, one of the things that's that's interesting about the eyes of um, Especially, sort of intel- like more intelligent mammals like great apes, is that you can see the, um, the the pupils. You can see the direction in which they're looking. That's a, that's an odd feature. That's something that um, that you would see on animals that uh, are are, uh, are used to sort of reading facial expressions, right? That that's a, that that itself is a very hu- humanizing feature. And uh, I could be wrong, but I, I seem to remember the Jackson orcs having having more reptilian eyes, where um, you can't sort of tell that little bit of. Uh, it doesn't have that little bit of a, an extra human touch, so maybe even in the even just in the eyes, there's there's some uh, increased humanity. So we're going to take a look at this next photo here. Boy, now this one. Oh, I thought this was so interesting. You know, these orcs feel a little bit more. Um, they're sort of like a zombie demon quality to them, and I wish I could reference more specifically like modern movies that have the same visual aesthetic that I'm thinking of but this orc looks like very undead you know in terms of the eyes the skin looks gray whereas the orcs i think in peter jackson's trilogy it wasn't as gray it was like it, there was a lot it was a lot darker this is you know gray like they've never seen the sun um i mean you can see this this one's hands are almost you know white almost paper white but then the the clothing is just this really rough basic cloth 
I mean, everything is just so rough. This sword, look how rusty that sword is. But this one really grabbed <laughs> me. This image really grabbed me, I thought. Yeah, this one looks awesome. I mean, he's, like you said, he's he's a bit ashy. Um, you know, he, he's kind of looking like me after a rough weekend. Um, <laughs> But on on the whole, I, I love the I love the uh, the the cloth. <laughs> I don't know why, just it's really working for me. So one thing that I noticed about this orc, and I, I think it, it's pretty much in all the the pictures we've got here. So this orc has a hood that's draped well over his face. You know, this one's a helmet. I don't know how much shade it gives him. This one definitely looks like there's <laughs> some shade. You know, the ability to grant some shade. And it's covering up, you know, the sides of their faces. I think the design of the helmets and the hood, you can see a commonality there. They're trying to protect themselves from the sun. Yeah. You know, which we never really got that too much. from. The, I mean, it was referenced in Peter Jackson's trilogy that the orcs didn't like the sun. Certainly, it was like explicitly referenced. But I don't know that we noticed it in the design of their headgear. And I like that we see that here, that their headgear is designed to give them as much coverage as possible uh, to because... As we know, orcs hate the sun, and they're taking it a little literally. I think in this adaptation that they like get a sunburn; their skin actually burns. Yeah. Um, which you know, <laughs> I I don't know that I don't know how true to form that is, but that's fine. This is a visual medium, so if you want to turn like you know the uh, the daunting effect that the sun has on their sp- spirit and will, and you know represent that in a physical way, I, I think I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean it's it's a bit it's a bit funny, but um, yeah, it's not it's not it's not a too intrusive I, I do like the idea that they get that they get you know skin damage from the sun like that's that seems like we're only a night's move away from uh you know orcs getting a spot checked up by their dermatologist or something but <laughs> you know that's that's fine we'll, we'll we'll wait till the next series for that one it's getting into vampirism territory if uh depending on yeah, how sensitive yeah. their yeah skin is to the sun but so this image here boy this is just hideous but the first thing that, that you notice, of course, is the helmet. This is clearly not an orcish helmet. This is metal, which the other, you know, all the other headgear we've seen in the orcs has not been metal. And it matches exactly the helmets we saw on the Noldren Elves in other pictures uh, from the, the teaser and the trailer and things like that that have been released. So this is definitely an elvish helmet. So again, going back to the idea that orcs are, these orcs are scavengers. One thing that's very consistent, the teeth. Woof. Clearly no dentists in Orcish communities whatsoever. Just gnarly. Discovered this article. I woke up. I checked Twitter. Fellowship of fans had tweeted out some stuff. They tweeted out this article and they said, female orc confirmed or something, or this is our first female orc. So I so I, hmm. I just went with that and was like, okay, this is a female orc. But um, then someone corrected me on Twitter. It's like that the article doesn't actually confirm which image is associated with a female orc. So... We don't know. We have no way of knowing. I guess this looks more female than male, but it's like, how how can you really tell in the orcish context? Um, I mean, how can you tell in any context? But (laughs) I'm not. uh, I'm not. I'm not willing to put money down on that. So I'm I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Yeah. It's like fifty-fifty. I I guess. Like now that now that you say it, I can kind of see what you mean. But it did. It didn't occur to me before that this one looked particularly feminine. So I I think it's it's just a toss-up for me. Right. But this one, blood red eyes. You see the blood red eyes there. Yeah. I think clearly this is a feature orc because Sorry, I'm distracted by that tooth there. Yeah, yeah. You can see in the foreground here, the blurry foreground. I I think this is pretty clearly Arundir. 
uh, which means we hmm. see a very up close and personal encounter with Aaron here and this orc. I don't know if this is in the middle of a fight scene. It almost seems like uh, I think this is. We saw an image of Arandir, one of the early images from uh, the first batch that were released. Arandir flying through the air with a chain attached to his leg. So there's been some suspicion that at some point he was captured. Uh, I think that if that is true, that this encounter would have been in that context where he's chained, he's a captive, and this is one of his captors who's, I don't know, gloating and getting in his face and being cruel, right? So I th- I, my guess is that... That looks right. Yeah, that's what's going on here. Yeah, because he he doesn't have uh, he doesn't have headgear on clearly. So right. Although as a Sylvan elf, I, I don't know that he ever would. Oh really? Okay, fair enough. No, you're right. All right, so we're getting into our last our last two photos here, and yeah, this is the same work we got in the very first image, um, who somehow looks even worse than in the first photo. Like, good lord, I, I think basically just every every orc is just a designed to look like a meth head like they looked just so rough yeah (laughs) but uh yeah not not much that's new here but clearly this is i guess narratively you know he's with a group of orcs no longer in a forest assaulting some sort of stronghold some sort of building i mean these this is you know block or i guess not cement but some sort of block fortress so there's no way to tell like the scale uh, exactly what they're attacking but they are an army that is attacking a building. So I think that's notable, you know, for a group of orcs that we know they're just coming out of holes. They're a little, haven't traditionally gone to war. Well, now they are going to war attacking a a fortress. So that's kind of interesting. So last photo, I think this is pretty clearly part of the same assault. You know, the lighting's the same. They're amidst some sort of building. This is a new character. Um, I, I, I don't think we've seen him in different, in any other photos. But again, similar headgear. There must be a lot of these animals around where they have like bones or skulls that they can that are perfectly sized to fit over orc heads. <laughs> but this one, I don't know, some sort of horn. I really want to see the animal. It's a it's a bigger orc actually. That they okay okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, there <I'm> you go. <laughs> hey, that would be... it's like uh, it's like Russian it's like Russian dolls, but but with orcs. Right, yeah. right. Oh God. Well, that would that would definitely fit. That would definitely fit. <laughs> So here's something interesting. Again, I think this goes with the scavenger quality. This orc is wearing some sort of breastplate that you can't really tell for sure. I think it, this is made out of wood to me. Like we saw Arendir had a wooden breastplate that was heavily carved. This looks like it could be a wooden breastplate of the, from the Sylvan Elves that he scavenged off of a dead Sylvan Elf that he killed. That would be my guess of what we're looking at. Yeah, that's, in- that's interesting. Um, and this one, just they tied f- some flaps to the side, you know, some canvas flaps. They're really protecting those cheeks, you know. Orcs really care about the skincare. <laughs> you know, they, they got their regimen, their skincare regimen. Every every morning, wake up, wash, you know, put on your, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> your canvas flaps. <laughs> I mean, it looks like they're, they're really trying their best and they still look like that. Right. So, you know, clearly they've got to, uh, they've got to really work hard right, at it. Right, right. They're, they're not doing the, uh, you know, hashtag woke up like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hashtag no filter. I don't want to see orcs with no filter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. G- give me as many filters as you can. That's hilarious. No, but on, on the whole, I think they look great. I, I think um, uh, just like just everything that we've said, I, I love the variants. I love the um, the sort of sort of immediacy, I guess, yeah. of it. Like it, it feels very visceral to, to sort of look at them in a way that the, that the Jackson orcs didn't right. really. Well, and to get a little meta with it, in terms of tracking the conversation of the fandom, 
there obviously has been a contingent. There are plenty of people who are uh, unsure, concerned, have varying opinions of the show. And I think that a lot of the images and teaser trailers and things that have come out that had come out prior to this article, there was like kind of mixed reactions. Um, there was no consensus in terms of excitement or this is going to be terrible or whatever. There's like a lot of the full spectrum. I think when this article came out, it there's been a bit of a shift because these orcs look so good. You know, really, they just look so, so good. Um that I, I, you know, I didn't hear a lot of criticism of the design of these orcs, and I haven't heard as much criticism. You know, the critics have not been quite as loud on Twitter, which is a place where critics are generally very, very loud. <laughs> you know, criticism is generally amplified on Twitter. There just hasn't been as much of it since this article. And, you know, the images that, that the teaser that came out recently, I think, is getting more positive responses. So I think we're seeing a bit of a shift where people are starting to feel like, at least in terms of the the visuals, all right, this show is probably going to do a pretty good job. Yeah, I would agree. I think this is a uh, I've you know on most sort of things that I've seen about the show, I've been generally speaking positive, but a little bit ambiguous about most things. But this is the first thing that I've seen. The the orcs are the first things that I've seen that I, that really um, felt like a home run. Not not to say that I was sort of down on it, but yeah. Well, guys, I think we have talked about all the orc stuff that I can stomach. I need to go uh, stand out in the sun for a while, wash the orcishness off me for a while. But uh, I I was very, very happy to have both of you here. I really appreciate you taking the time and finding uh, time in your schedules to join me. It was really, really fun uh, to get to meet you. Uh, So before we close, where where can people find you? Where can they find your pod? Where can they find other projects that you're doing? So the podcast is Reading Token. It's it's hosted by Ben Bassett, who you've been hearing, and, and I, I jump in every once in a while. And um, yeah, I think it's just called Reading Token. And embarrassingly, I don't know their Twitter handle. It's um, <laughs> at pod reading. So that's P-O-D-R-E-A-D-I-N-G. You can find me at Twitter at Tregs. That's at S-H-R-E-G-G-Z. And I think that's pretty much it. So thanks for having us on. It was It was really fun. Thank you both so much. It was a lot, a lot of fun (laughs) having you both here. May the hair on your toes never fall out. So before we go, I wanted to ask a quick question. Uh, In the Lord of the Rings films, an orc famously said that meat is back on the menu, indicating that there may be orcish restaurants with menus. So, t- <laughs> uh, what what real world restaurant would be your orcish restaurant of choice, and why? Wait, are we talking about what restaurant do we want to send orcs to, or what restaurant would I go to eat orcish food? Uh, what <laughs> <laughs> what what restaurant would appeal to orcs? Whether it's the whether they like the food, the ambiance, you know, the music, the entertainment. Hmm. Well. It's a, it's a tough one for me because I'm vegetarian, so I actually have no idea. Uh, I've, I've been vegetarian my whole life, so um, I, I wish I, I wish I had more uh, meat experience. <laughs> um, but but I, I guess I guess uh, I could I could really see uh, an orc enjoying like a you know a good uh, you know pub for some reason. I don't know why. Um, I mean, who doesn't like a who do, who doesn't like a pub, right? Um, with with sort of a, a you know big old burger and some and some fries and a beer i mean do orcs drink surely they they, drink. they do drink and every um, time there's a reference to what they drink it's it sounds like 
like scotch, probably. Scotch. It's a dark. Okay. So so then I guess they got to go like it burns on the way down. That sounds like scotch to me. Yeah. So I there's probably there's a I haven't been there because I don't I don't eat this kind of thing. But um, there's a restaurant here called I think it's called uh, Elmo's, and uh, it's famous for its uh, steak and its whiskey. I think so. I guess that one will be will be a good one for for. Well, I suppose if you wanted to punish the orcs, you would send them to a vegetarian restaurant because there'd be nothing for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'll I'll just cook them some some South Indian food at my house. That'll that'll burn them (laughs) off. There you go. There you go. Well, for me, I think that uh, a perfect orcish restaurant would be a sushi restaurant because I'm pretty sure an orc never cooks its food. Smart. So if they're they like meat, but I'm pretty sure they like it raw, <laughs> straight off the 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 breathing, still breathing corpse of its prey. That's a good point. Mm-hmm.